Yeah, so they were celebrating in Hawaii in the last week or so. Isn't it nice when you get to have a special vacation uh, like that and celebrate a big birthday? How many of you have been to Hawaii? How many have not but wish you could go? How many are planning to go this year? Oh, all right. Enjoy. Which island? The Big Island. island. That's my favorite island. I I hear uh, it's the really hot vacation right now. Lava lamps are on special over there. They're coming back. Um, We've been to many of the islands because we love Hawaii. I mean, there's only so long we can go without getting to Hawaii and enjoying it. There's something special about it. Uh, And there's something special about each island. You know, the first place Brenda and I went in Hawaii was Maui. And that was our first experience. We have friends there. One of the ladies that discipled her as a new Christian and uh, one of the men that lived, her husband, one of the guys in my life that was a, a, you know, a big influence, they retired there. And so we used to go stay with them and go and visit them whenever we could. And one of the things we learned about Maui is you can't go to Maui without driving the road to Hana. And it's a wild ride, driving the road to Hana, especially if you rented a minivan instead of a nice convertible sports car. And on Maui, there are these t-shirts. This, this drive is so crazy and so challenging and so sickening in some ways uh, that they actually have t-shirts and the t-shirts have printed on them, not I drove the road to Hana, but I survived the road to Hana. Who, who's actually, who survived the road to Hana? How many are here? Does anybody here actually have the shirt? You have the shirt. We've got a couple of these. I survived the road uh, to Hanush. We ought to get some of those and then do a giveaway with them along with some pink Bibles or something some Sunday morning. I survived the road to Hana. And it's a grind, that road to Hana. And when you have a son and a daughter-in-law in your minivan who are sitting in the back seat, who have a tendency toward motion sickness, it's really a challenge to get there because that's two or three extra stops. I mean, we had stops to look at waterfalls and we had stops to um, create waterfalls in some way. (laughs) Okay, it's my turn, I need to stop. This was too windy, you're going too fast and you can't go fast on the road to Hana because it's it's usually bumper to bumper, right? It's very often bumper to bumper. Two stops for that, as I recall. Here's my problem with these shirts. You don't actually have to drive the road to Hana to buy the shirt that says, I survived the road to Hana. You can get the I survived the road to Hana shirt at virtually every ABC store on the island, which is like 100,000 ABC stores. ABC stores in Hawaii, it makes Starbucks look like they have no stores at all around here. You can buy the shirt without ever actually, actually having embarked on the journey. You can make the claim and wear the shirt and never have driven the road. The only way to really get to Hana is to actually do what's written on the shirt. That is to put tires to pavement, make the necessary stops for your car sick passengers, and you will have car sick passengers on this road and survive the narrow, twisted, 
divided, sometimes one car wide and two cars need to go at the same time road to the town of Hana. Now it's a cool place to get to when you get there. But that's the only way to get there. Drive the road, not just wear the shirt. Now we've been teaching about joy in these past three weeks. And for some of you, now that I've mentioned Hawaii and even specifically Maui, you're saying joy, that's all I need. He said Hawaii, I think joy. I don't need any more teaching. I've just got all these pictures going in my mind because Hawaii equals joy. Palm trees equals joy. Beaches, that equals joy for me. We want you to get more out of this series than that. In other words, there's a way to think about joy and to sort of parallel that experience that I observed in Hawaii. You can actually buy the shirt and pretend like you've driven the road without ever having put tires to asphalt. And our desire is for you not to just learn facts about joy, although that's important, And not just simply to look at what the scriptures teach about joy. That's very important. But we want to make sure you don't just buy the shirt and never learn the route to joy. What are some of the stops along the way so that I can take everything that has been taught over these previous three weeks and now, uh, now apply them and actually do more than simply make the statement and make the claim. I want to experience joy, and we want you to experience joy. And there are some disciplines that can do much more for you than just help you make the claim, because you can be a pretender when it comes to joy. I just want to dive into a couple of those disciplines, and here they are. And not surprisingly, they are both counterintuitive. Now, there are more stops along the way to joy, These are some that have become important to me that I've actually experienced. I don't naturally have joy. I'm naturally contemplative melancholy, and that's a huge transition to who I used to be. But all those years when I thought I was funny and wanted to make people laugh and always wanted to have fun, there was an opportunity to be playful. I wanted to take it. I didn't want to ever miss them. Those were me wearing the shirt. But there was an emptiness. The shirt didn't fit me well because I'd never really thought about what deep and lasting joy is and what, are some of the, what some of the stops were along the way that might help me actually experience it. So here are a couple of them that I have experienced in my life and the scriptures have been very important in helping me to discover, understand, and then pursue them. And here's the first one I want to offer to you. Some of the disciplines that actually are the gateways to joy, and they're counterintuitive. Here's the first one. The first one is sacrificial service to others. There is something forever linked to dying to yourself, giving yourself away, finding ways to mirror the life and practice and values of Jesus and say, who is out here that I can give my life to? that I can serve in small ways and great ways. Who are the street kids of my home country? 
And maybe I can put shoes on one of them. Maybe I can house one of them. And what are the street kid issues that I see? And what is God putting on my heart? What are the small and great ways I can serve others? Joy is the result of service. You want to get to the city of joy? The stops along that road include sacrificial service to others. It's almost like a mathematical equation. I have this list, (coughs) pardon me, that I formed some years ago, and it's been evolving, but it, it was done 10 or 15 years ago, about the time I came here, maybe shortly after I came here to be pastor. And it's what I call art's top 20 pastoral values. These were actually notes to myself. And so I have to go back and read those once in a while to challenge myself, protect myself, and make sure I'm not forgetting what it really means to be a pastor. And number two on that list, something that I observed, it's still there, it's been there for a long, long time. Number two on my arts pastor of values list is this. Sacrifice and commitment result in joy. We have a slide for this. Sacrifice and commitment result in joy. Listen to this now, church. But one without the other results in weariness. You put on the shirt and you feel obligated to get to joy. Rejoice, it's a command. And if some pieces are missing and all you have is the the destination, but not what it takes to get there, it results in this sense of guilt or despair or weariness. You're always commit, 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 do, 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 but there's nothing that's, that's uh, in the heart. Sacrifice, sacrifice, but there's no value in the heart that makes it a joyful experience. It becomes empty and you get tired and weary. Sacrifice and commitment result in joy, period. Guaranteed equation. That's the road. But one without the other results in weariness. Um, I didn't put these, I didn't make slides for the whole text. These are longer texts, but I want to dig into Scripture a little bit. If you'll grab a Bible that's on the seat, underneath the seat in front of you, you turn to page 1179. Or if you have your Bible on your app or whatever, go ahead and go to uh, Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2. Let me quickly read through this. And what I want to do is just make some comments. Look in this text as I read for the connection between service, dying to self, sacrifice, uh, concern for others, and how it's linked to this idea of joy. This text starts with a notion of joy and ends with a notion of joy. And then there's some pretty challenging stuff uh, between it, but listen to this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and grammatically, the way this sentence is constructed, it's Paul clearly, the readers would have understood this to have a force sort of like this. If you have any of these things, and you do, That's kind of embedded in the way, in the the structure of this sentence. If you have any of these things, which are all true of you, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. 
And then this in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't just set goals and objectives that serve your agenda. What's the motivation? Do nothing out of ambition or vain, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. There's a counterintuitive pathway to joy. Make my joy complete. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. See this idea of the linking of joys, uh, Paul's joy being complete and this idea of serving others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be forcefully held on to, used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in a prison as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's the extent to which Jesus was here to serve others. He died for us even while we were yet sinners. Oh my, what a love that is that that shows. He came to serve us and rescue us. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, which eventually will happen. Why not let it happen now in your life? In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, there's going to be a day when everybody says, ah, you were right, Jesus. You're it. To the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have... Also, as you have also obeyed, not only in my presence, but how, now much more in my absence, Paul writes, continue to, and here I think this has to do with the way we take what we believe and work it out in service to others and representing what was just expressed and what was just used, the words just used to describe Jesus. We parallel that. We represent that. We dive into that. The church is all about that. And he references that by saying, continue to work out your salvation with fear and troubling, trembling. I mean, let your salvation, what's in you and what I just explained, erupt out onto all kinds of people all around you. How do we do that? By not thinking of ourselves primarily or only, exclusively. But of the concerns of others, of our sisters and brothers, and of those all around us and our community. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. <clears throat> and then he finishes up, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's the whip across my back, to be honest. So that you may become blameless and pure. <clears throat> Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast, Paul says, on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. This is another way of him saying, here's what will make my joy complete. Your humble service in the name of Christ. And then he finishes, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm being poured out in service. I am glad 
There's that joy word. I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul connects this idea of joy and service. His joy is complete when he sees the church giving herself away in the way Jesus gave himself away. And our joy will be complete here when we see the same thing and practice the same thing. Sacrificial service to others is the expressway to persistent, eternal joy. Folks, anyone can buy the shirt. I survived the road to Hana. But not everybody actually drives the path. Our hope for our church is that we would know not just about joy, but they would ex- we would experience that deep, lasting, life-giving, freeing joy that comes from service to others. There's a second discipline <clears throat> that I want to mention that's also been really helpful for me. So joy comes through sacrificial service to others, but the second and last one I want to mention on the road to joy is a, what I call a simple, unfettered focus on God. One of the things I'm learning in my, uh, am I in my older years now? I mean, I feel young, but I'm 64 now and coming close to retirement pretty soon. And here's one of the things I'm learning as I'm becoming more honest with myself, more aware of my insecurities and the difference between who I am at my core, even in the nuances, and who I long to be in Christ. Here's one of the things that I've noticed. I am obsessive about focus and simplicity. Some of my my gnawing complaints and my internal frustrations I'm learning through some good um, therapeutic work and spiritual direction and things that our spiritual director helps, my spiritual director helps me see is that I'm almost intolerant of unnecessary complexity. And I want to grow in that area. And it's keep all this complexity, so many unnecessary moving parts that I'm either not figuring out how to find ways to manage simply or they're just sort of coming at me from every direction and most of them I've created and I don't need them. They rob me of joy. They are roadblocks to joy. But simplicity gives me access to joy. Focus gives me a direct shot at joy, especially when my focus is on Christ. My focus is on kingdom of God. What does God long for? And I want to long for it. And what is superfluous to him? And I want that to be superfluous to me as well. You know, trying to experience joy while dealing with all sorts of unfocused entanglements, unnecessary complexities, think of this, it's kind of like trying to shake hands with an octopus. Every time you reach toward one arm, there are seven more trying to pull your hand to the other arm and in another direction. Actually, there aren't seven more, there are five more because scientists and biologists will know no octopi have two feet, but you know, that's just 
unnecessarily complex illustration. The freedom comes and the joy comes with focus to say, okay, this might seem important, but you know what? You're, you're being set aside. And this over here, it kind of keeps whispering and yelling at me, but eh, you're not essential. This complexity of life, I'm going to set you aside. What really matters? I'm sort of going to stand right here. What's God's yes for me? Which means what are God's no's for me too? And I want simplicity that brings joy. I mean, you, you have texts like this text in 2 Timothy 2, where they talk about, um, join with me in my suffering as a good soldier of Christ. And then I highlighted this piece. No, this is all about focus. Paul's writing to young Timothy, who's a young Christian leader. He says this, no one, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather focuses, tries to please his commander. And he goes and gives the illustration after that of an athlete. You focus. You know how athletes win? By the way, how about those warriors, huh? Come on, baby. Come on, baby. <laughs> Prove that God is good. And when they. <clears throat> but those guys get to be great because they focus. They say no to everything else in order to be great at one thing. And that's the way it is with the path to joy as well. Focus. No soldier in active duty gets all entangled with things that don't have anything to do with his or her primary purpose. Or in Matthew 18, that's a great command to that beautiful illustration to align ourselves with the, at the, at the, the disciples come to Jesus and they Ask them, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Go ahead and put that slide up of that text. Who's going to be the greatest uh, in the kingdom of heaven? And he says, he brings a little child and he says, whoever figures out this kind of simplicity and focus. Now, we have grandchildren in our home again. So, you know, you kind of forget as your kids get older what it was like to watch children who are young. And we have a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And I'm looking at an illustration of the very kind of focus I'm talking about. They are simple, man. I mean, when, it's, when they're done using the restroom, we hear a little holler, ready to wipe! <laughs> Simple. Three syllables. Simple. Papa, up. They're focused. And Jesus calls a little child to him and says, when you figure out how to live like one of these... That's when you'll be great. And that's also when we have joy. In Matthew 6, part of that Sermon on the Mount, which is the essence of Christianity, by the way. Read it regularly, the Sermon on the Mount. That's the essence of our faith. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, store up for yourselves treasures on heaven. Get focused. Know when to say no, and your yes decides when you say no. Store up treasures in heaven. 
Nothing breaks in there and steals it. I'm the one who holds the lock and key, Jesus would say. Nobody robs me of what you invest there. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This section of the Sermon on the Mount is about simplistic, simplistic unfettered focus of God. It ends that way in the climax. No one can serve two masters, he says. You can't have two foci. You can have one. There's no joy in being divided, focusing on two things, trying to serve two masters. That robs you of your joy. Simplicity escorts you to joy. Jesus goes on, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He's not saying don't plan and don't be a good steward. He's saying don't worry about that stuff. Do the best you can and move on to your primary, almost exclusive focus. You can't add one day to your life by getting all tied up and entangled with all of that. Worry about clothes. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. And then he ends with this, and this is the point. But the opposite of all that, instead, seek first. And that word first is a big, powerful word in this text. You can read seek first, seek primarily, seek as the it of your life. God's kingdom, which means God's agenda. His righteousness, God's lifestyle, the lifestyle we see in Jesus. And then all the rest of this is going to fall into place. All these things will be added to you, given to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Joy comes not from wearing the shirt and playing the game. Joy comes down the road of simple, unfettered focus of God. Nothing else matters but the agenda of God. Where do I learn the agenda of God? The teachings of Jesus. Sacrificing and serving others. Doing away with unnecessary complexities in my life. And when I'm saying that, you all know and feel that it's true. Oh, man. These responsibilities and duties that I've laid upon my life, they're all sort of creeping in on me from all sides. And I feel like I'm in the middle of the circle and they keep taking steps closer to me and steps closer to me. And what happens? Your chest starts to get tight and you lay awake at night worrying. If there are things in our lives that are unnecessary complexities, get rid of them. And if you can't get rid of them, figure out systems that allow us to manage them more simply. Because then we can focus on what really matters and live the kinds of lives we dream about living. That's the access, the pathway to profound joy. In The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer writes this. He says, every age has its own characteristics. Right now, we are in an age of religious complexity. Now, this is written some time ago, but it's still true, more true. Religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us. In its stead are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities, 
He's talking about the, just the frenetic pace of our lives because of the demands we place on our lives and the non-negotiables we place in our lives. He said, world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never really satisfy the longing of the heart. They will never satisfy the longing of the heart. What they will do is they will poison and corrupt the longing of the heart. Maximize simplicity, he says. In the shallowness of our inner experience, he goes on, the hollowness of our worship and that servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we are in this day that we know God only imperfectly and the peace and the joy that results of it from God only scarcely at all. We know him imperfectly and scarcely. Why? Tozer says, because we're overly busy, unnecessarily complex, not as focused as we need to be. But what I want to leave you with today is a reminder that there's a different road to take if we choose to do more than just hear and dream about that peace and that joy that accompanies it. It's a road unlike not unlike, actually, the road that Robert Frost introduced in his great poem and that inspired him, Scott Peck, in his great book, The Road Less Traveled. There's, there's a different way. And in some ways, it is a road that must be endured, like the road to Hana. Because it's not only the road less traveled, it's the road less traveled because it's the road less chosen. But it's the road to joy sacrificial service to others. Simple, unfettered focus upon God and the dreams of God. And I invite you into that.